The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba, episode 40. Going to do some Twins talk, a little baseball talk after that, but mainly Twins talk, and for that... I am joined by one of the Twins beat writers, Brandon Warren. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. Uh, Brandon, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. It's awfully nice out here in the Twin Cities, uh, 80-some degrees. Been up in the 90s the last few days. And so we're, we're starting to finally see what summer looks like, which has been a long time coming. So we're, we're getting pretty excited around here. That's great. No, I love it back in that country. My family was from North Dakota. I, uh, oh, yeah. I go and visit Wisconsin almost once a year for my buddies, Badger fans. So it's a it's a great great area to live in for sure. Yeah, my wife is from North Dakota, so I'm very familiar with the area. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, before we get started, um, did you want to tell everybody like where that you can be found besides Twitter and what else you got going on? Well, uh, I cover the Twins for a website called Zone Coverage, and it's it's pretty simple to find on on online just zonecoverage.com. Used to be called Cold Omaha, but we rebranded, and so anyway. Uh, we're, we're trying to build this website in Minneapolis, and who knows, maybe someday branch out to some other markets, um, hence the zone coverage name. But, yeah, so I cover the Twins. we got all kinds of twin stuff on there, um, Lynx, Timberwolves, Wild, Wolf, uh, 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 Vikings, excuse me. Uh, we have all that fun stuff. Then I write for the Sports Post. I write a pitching column every morning. I write for Rotographs on Thursdays, and then on Fridays I submit a post to fantasy pros that goes up over the weekend uh, as far as streamers to look for in terms of starting pitchers with 30 percent or lower ownership on espn so a lot of fun stuff going on i also have a podcast called midwest swing i record full-length episodes of that on tuesdays and then uh two two or three or four times per week i try to do shorts versions of episodes um, where I record a simulcast. I record it on Periscope, upload it to YouTube, pull the audio from YouTube, put it up on Libsyn, and then have a podcast slash video so people can watch it. So it's a lot of fun stuff going on. I'm a very busy guy. Just had a baby, so all kinds of fun stuff going on. Yeah, I wanted to congratulate you on that. I saw that on Twitter. A nice little baby girl, it looks like, so congratulations on that. Yeah, little Dolly. She's great. And, um, yeah, busy, busy guy. <laughs> but uh, i can ask you a few questions here. How long have you been covering the Twins for? Well, my first season covering them with regularity was 2013. I covered them for a uh, radio station here in town called 1500 ESPN. I had covered them kind of on like a one-off basis with baseball prospectus and fan graphs before that, and then a little bit with SB Nation. 
But 2013 was the first year I covered them on any regular basis, covering home games only, which is what we're still doing now with zone coverage until we have a, a better budget for travel and all that fun stuff. Uh, you know, onward and upward, trying to build it up. So this is year number, I guess, five that I've had a sub- significant presence in the Twins Clubhouse, and year number four that it's really been very, very consistent. 2014, I wasn't in the clubhouse too much. So haven't seen a lot of winning baseball, although um, 2015 was a pretty good season. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's a fun job, and I've been doing it for a while. I, I graduated college in 2010, and I've been sports writing in some form or fashion ever since and got my first full-time job in the business, so to speak, in 2016. Excuse me, 2014. So, yeah, I have a lot of hands in the cookie jar and a lot of things in the mix and so it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So you you said you uh, you had a clubhouse presence in fourteen. What's been like your favorite player to cover in the clubhouse? Kind of gives you the most fun answers, most info type guy. Phil Hughes is kind of my guy. Um, we kind of have a fun vibe from when he signed with the team, and I was at his intro presser, and I asked him if he had talked to Mike Pelfrey about the difference between going from New York City to Minnesota. And obviously markets are, are way different there. And it, I thought that was a great question. And he just kind of gave me a flat like, no, no, I haven't, which was kind of embarrassing for me because I, I, I thought I was asking him this great question. He just didn't have much to say. So a year later, he tweets me and says, oh, by the way, I talked to Pelf. They're different. And so we've kind of had a, <laughs> we've kind of had a good vibe since then. Um, Brian Dozier's really great. Uh, Glenn Perkins, when he he's healthy and around, is good. Trevor May is really good. Right now, though, my go-to guy is Chris Jimenez. And on every homestand, I do a podcast segment called Catching Up with the Catcher. And he gives me 10, 12 minutes where we just chit-chat about life, about baseball, about music. I think next time I'll ask him about his wife because she's a fitness freak. And uh, she's kind of well-known for that. So we'll just have some fun with it. Uh, for a backup catcher, he's got a big personality, really good clubhouse guy. So he's kind of my go-to guy right now. But uh, there's a lot of guys in that clubhouse that are a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a good young clubhouse. Most of the time with the Twins, it seems to be a young clubhouse for the most part. And uh, it's got to keep things lively around there. Um, one more clubhouse question. What's it like interacting with uh, Paul Molitor? Because what I've seen most of the time, he seems kind of just like not that exciting to talk to people. But I'm curious, in person, what's he like? He's, he's a little dry, but he's very intelligent. And uh, sometimes his... His managerial decisions on the field I'll have questions with or I, I won't necessarily like. But his recollection of events in the game, you know, if you ask him the 72nd pitch that Danny Salazar had on a given night if they're facing Cleveland, he can probably tell you what it was, who was up, and all that stuff. So he's got amazing memory for things that happen. And, and for the most part with his bullpen management, because he has kind of had to to squeeze, um, you know, he basically had to juice a banana for, for quality as far as uh, – pitching has gone in the bullpen this year uh, he does a pretty good job of balancing that for the most part so he's i, I think he's a fairly good tactical manager and uh, a pretty good guy to talk to has a very dry sense of humor and a very uh, wry wit which is which is good but um sometimes that probably doesn't come across very well on tv but he does a good job keeping his head above water especially with how badly they struggled last year he never really seemed to be you know ticked off or, or would take it out on the media which was which was pretty refreshing sweet um, you're talking about music. I, I told us to do a couple random questions to get to know the guest here. What sure. kind, of music, kind of music are we into? Well, a little bit of everything. I, you know, I've been really into like Kendrick Lamar's latest stuff and Childish Gambino. Um, what else is I Run the Jewels I really like. I, I'm, I'm kind of like hip-hop, but I, I'm picky. I really don't like Drake. 
Um, I, I need something more than just production. I need lyrics that that resonate. I need um, rhythms that are complex. Um, I'm a big Kanye junkie just because I think his stuff has a lot of layers, which is fascinating to me. I was a Jay-Z kid and outcast in high school. I've been out of high school for quite a while now. I don't I don't know how old you are, but I'm 31. So I've um, been out of high school for a while, but I was really into those. But I also like like Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, like classical music, uh, Glenn Miller, you know, the, the big band stuff. So it, odds are if you have a genre, I could probably spin 20 songs off the top of my head that, that I like. And I grew up on uh, CMT, country music television, so... The mid-90s country music resonates with me, too. So a little bit of everything, uh, which I realize is kind of a cop-out. But um, on any given day in my truck, I'm playing probably, uh, I'll jump from uh, the newest Kendrick to Childish Gambino to Run the Jewels and then back. Although there is a new Lupe song that I really like, too. So uh, kind of diverse, but at the same time, I do have a pattern that I kind of stick to. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm 33, so I can relate to all those sure. things. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Um, Okay, last one I'll pick out of this weird one off the wall. Mall of America, is it as is it cracked up to what it's supposed to be? No, but I mean, I guess as a resident, it's probably not as cool to me. Um, you don't you don't go there if you need a pair of jeans. You go there if you want to people watch. If you want to, uh, you know, go get some something fun to eat. Uh, that's a little bit crazy, you know, Bubba Gump shrimp or something like that. But if you're a local, there's probably not a lot there for you. With you know, we're closer to Ridgedale Mall, which is in Maple, uh, Minnetonka. Actually, if you ever saw the movie Juno, they mentioned Ridgedale Mall. Um, they actually filmed it in Canada. They weren't even in Minnesota, even though they claimed to be. So it's kind of weird. But um, there's a lot of small outdoor malls and all that kind of stuff around. So so we don't go down to Mall of America a whole lot. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, now I got a little off the wall stuff. Let's get into the twins a little deeper here. They are a, in first place right now, and it's the shock to me and a shock to a lot of people. What was the like expectations coming into the season around the clubhouse and everything with the Twins? Well, I think with the team, they were they were reasonably high. I mean, I think everyone realized there, there was going to be a transition period, and I think everything's in kind of a holding pattern because the guys that have come in in the brass are not looking to change everything up. They're having a very deliberate path to wherever they're going you know they're not doing wide sweeping firings and hirings and all that stuff and as a result uh paul mild paul milder excuse me is uh is managing on his last year of his contract it's very rare teams will do that usually a manager will have an extension in hand before that last year starts so he's kind of managing for his job um a lot of the front office types that have hung around are as well including rob anthony who was the interim gm after they fired terry ryan last year so uh, I think expectations were, were moderate. I think 70-ish wins, because I think nobody believed 59 was their talent last year. It was just a matter of losing a lot of games as a young team that more experienced teams find a way to close out. Or, you know, um, not only tight games within one or two runs in either direction that, that, that got out of hand, but also just, um, you know, taking leads early and hanging on to them. They just were not good at that. I think a true talent team last year was probably 70, 71 wins. Uh, I wrote 80 wins in January. I got a lot of pushback, but right now the Fangraphs cool standings says 79. So a lot of people are like, "Oh man, maybe this guy knew what he was talking about." Um, very talented team, obviously young up the middle, uh, young at third base with Miguel Sano, uh, young in the outfield, uh, 25, 23, and 24 left to right. Pitching staff very unproven outside of Irvin Santana. Uh, Jose Brios has obviously been very good, and not a very good bullpen. So. 
Um, offensively, they're really, really good. Like top four, top five in the AL good. And uh, they just have to outscore teams at this point, uh, unless Irvin Santana's on the mound. So I think I think the expectation was maybe 70, 72 wins. And I think they've probably nudged that forward five or six wins. It's going to be interesting to see, though, if they can maintain this pace for, for much longer. Yeah, coming into the season, that's kind of the way I viewed them. I thought their offense was going to be amazing. I was huge uh, on Miguel Sano in a fantasy standpoint and a real-life standpoint. I think he's going to be great. I think the move back to his everyday third base is just that's huge for a young guy's psyche. A lot to love. You know, Dozier keeping him was great. I know they could have got more to rebuild. I get it. But that just didn't pan out. They enforced the issue, which I like because he's a great ball player. Um, and then I'm a big Kepler guy. I think that the sky's the limit for him. So, yeah, lots of talent in that offense. I was concerned with the pitching. And Santana, to some, has overachieved. Um, but we know he's a good pitcher, just not like the eighth dominance that he's been. It's, it's kind of surprising. But I love Barrios. Bullpen is what it is. Butter doesn't have an extension or anything. What's the feeling like? Because I know after last year, many people were even crying for him to kind of be gone, and they let him stick around for this year. Are, it, what's it going to take, do you think, for him to keep his job? It's unclear at this point. I mean, I would guess in the mix of 500, play competitive baseball top to bottom all season. When the Twins are bad, usually it's like a second-half swoon where they just fall apart, really bad Septembers and Augusts. Um, you know, if they win 76 games but play pretty steady the whole way, that might be enough to save him. But I say I would say it would be pretty pretty close there. Uh, I have to believe, you know, when Thad Levine left the Rangers and Derek Falvey um, left the Indians, they both had guys in mind that they'd like to have managing underneath them, whether it's Ron Washington or, or Sandy Alomar Jr. or whoever they might like to have. So I, I, I don't know if they have a line in the sand as far as uh, – you know, 81 wins, you know, 500 or better, and you can stay 500 or lower and you go. I, I don't know if they have anything like that. But I do think it's it's got to be a fairly good season. And then beyond that, I mean, Monitor's, you know, he made, I think, $30 million playing baseball. He's got two kids under 10 years old or 11 years old or whatever it is. Um, you know, fairly young family for a guy of his age. So uh, I don't know necessarily how long he's going to want to do it either. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of this year if he decides to walk away or if the twins say thanks but uh we're going to move in another direction or if they're going to reward him with a you know a three-year deal with some security because i know they still like doug mankavich who is uh, i believe the manager for their their a-ball affiliate in fort myers and they also like uh jake mauer who is joe mauer's older brother so they do have some some prospects in the system and then obviously there's names that that surface every single time a manager job comes up so so we'll see i i'd say it's 50 50 at this point which which feels like a cop-out but there's just so much we don't know yet no that, that's totally fair i was just because yeah, you know the great start to the year after last year mm -hmm. i was just curious because you you read the same stuff i was probably reading that his head was on a chopping block so i was just i was curious yeah um, he, didn't, he wasn't on Heyman's top 14 on FanRag. Here a couple days ago, so I would say industry sources are probably pretty secure on him. But at the same time, too, you probably aren't going to fire a guy in season with less than a half season or whatever on his contract. You probably just let it play out. So they're being very, very patient, which I think is wise. Um, with all this early success and young team, like you already mentioned, you know, I saw you tweet out the other day that Miguel Sano's starting. Or it might have been today, starting to become kind of the clubhouse presence uh, leader of the team. 
what's it like with all that youth with the winning and the clubhouse like because last year kind of had to be some just you know dragging the heads moments like this year's totally different how's how's the vibe in the clubhouse really good uh chris jimenez is one of those leader types um craig breslow is as well it's funny though like a lot of their Leaders are bit players, Matt Belial, and so it's going to have to be some kind of transfer of power. Uh, Brian Dozier became a, a voice in the, the clubhouse. Um, you know, at some point in the last couple of years, obviously hitting 40 home runs carries some weight as far as when you say things, that's how it goes. But I do think Sano is a good way uh, to, to kind of balance between the guys who are English speakers naturally and, and then guys like him who are kind of learning it on the fly. Um, Irvin Santana, again, a very good leader and a very good Go between for a lot of those guys. Jose Barrios follows him around, and they're they're pretty inseparable. But it's hard to know how long some of these guys are going to be around, especially if you know if they falter a little bit and trade Dozier, trade Santana. You know, other guys are going to have to crop up, and I think that's where Sano's op- opportunity comes up. You know, Joe Mauer is always going to be there, but he's more of a lead by example kind of guy. Uh, and then you know, there's a lot of quiet guys. Eduardo Escobar is a is a really good clubhouse guy, but again, utility type. You know, you need some of your starters to provide some of this leadership otherwise it doesn't go very far yeah definitely and you mentioned uh brian dozier who you know definitely should be considered one of the the voices in the clubhouse with all those trade talks in the offseason how has the relationship between dozier and you say maybe the front office how is that at the moment i think he had there was a little bit i wouldn't say bitterness but just a realization of of the game being a business that he probably had to swallow. Uh, I think it's good now, um, you know, the fact that he's here and it's in season and all that stuff. I think he just had to t- kind of mentally leap over that hurdle and understand that there is that possibility he won't finish, you know, not only his career, but maybe even this year as a twin or even this winter at the time. But I, I think everything's good. Uh, I think I think the big thing is that these guys don't have attachment to these players as much as they treat them as professionals and, and men, you know, grown men and all that. If 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 the time comes and Brian Dozier nets you a couple guys who can help you in the next three to five years, uh, starting as soon as next year, that's probably a move you should consider making. And I think they're comfortable doing that because the PR hit is worse to lose for six of seven years than it is to trade a star. Because when you start winning, fans are going to fill the seats. And I keep telling people they need to care about the butts in the seats, not the faces on the people who have the butts. So you know what? If if 20,000 people stop buying season tickets, you can get those 20,000 people back or different 20,000 people back when you start winning again. So do whatever it takes to win and the fans will follow suit. No doubt about that. That is so, so true. Uh, one last trade deadline question. You mentioned Santana and Dozier. So right now they're in first place. It'd be tough to want to blow that up. But uh, say they're heading towards 500 or so come deadline time. Is it like a full just clean house rebuild for the right offer? Or if they're still somewhat in contention, are they going to go for it? I mean, it's so difficult because Santana is 30, um, let's see, he's 34, I believe, your age 34 season. And so a guy that's thrown that many sliders, you just don't know how long he can keep going. Father time is undefeated. Sliders are tough on the elbow. He did have, I think, a Tommy John scare when he was with the Angels. And so it doesn't matter how good he looks today. You have to think about tomorrow. You have to think about the road down uh, down the road. And the other thing that's nice, if you trade Santana, he's not a rental. He's got all next year that he's under contract for. And then he's got an option year that acts as a tearaway. Because if, if you trade him hypothetically to Texas, I mean, they're not going to trade him to Texas. But hypothetically, if you trade him to Texas, Texas has the option to keep him for as long as he's effective or they can opt out after next year. That That has to be 
a very attractive option to anyone looking to acquire a pitcher like that. They may not play that up as a reason why they want him, but that should allow the Twins to enact at least a, a little bit of a bidding war in terms of teams looking at his services. So I think he should be an attractive option. He's only owed something like $20 million for the rest of the deal. So he's he's a fairly attractive option um, come trade deadline time if the Twins are, I, I'd say they probably have to be under 500 or, uh, you know, one of those situations where there's seven teams in front of them. You know, if, if it becomes a game of leapfrog where every day you have to win to leapfrog teams that are, um, you know, ahead of you in the standings, then it becomes kind of a tougher or an easier pill to swallow than, uh, you know, if you're, you know, five games out, but you're the fifth team, you know, the, the second wild card, then you really do have to sit tight. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, as a Giants fan, I've already gotten in the mode to be a stud. Mm, I understand. And they're, I and understand. they're facing San Francisco later this week, so that should be an interesting series. Yeah, Barrios on Saturday. I'm, I'm trying to decide if I can get tickets and go down to that one. That who's, who's starting for San Fran? Uh, today's Tuesday. It might be Kane. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No, it'll be a Samarja, I think. Ooh, that'll be a good game. That'll be a fun one. I think, yeah, I think. If it's not Samarja, it'll be more, so <laughs> there you go. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, open some margin. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you mentioned getting youth, keeping the rebuild going, and that's another, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is the MLB draft is coming up on Monday, and if people are living under a rock, the Twins have the first pick, and they've uh, there's many many mock drafts out there talking about what the Twins might do. You got uh, the likes of Hunter Green, you have uh, Wright, you have. Mackenzie Gore, Brendan McKay, it's kind of the main four you hear. Royce Lewis is a long shot. Those mm-hmm. four pitchers, you got Green and uh, McKay, who can also hit really, really well. Um, at one point, Green was the guy that everyone said, but that's really kind of faded away. And now it's almost more of a Kyle Wright or Mackenzie Gore. Uh, McKay and Wright were on TV Saturday night in the regionals. That was fun to watch that. What's the feeling or the kind of – under the radar stuff going on about that number one pick. Uh, my gut says right, and it, it's fed not only by the reports that I read. Hudson Belinsky of Baseball America had a really good piece on base uh, on Baseball America, of course, because that's where he writes. But uh, that was, that came up over the weekend after he pitched against Clemson, and uh, you know, fairly good outing, um, mixed his stuff well, good fastball, and all of that good stuff. And I don't think he did anything to hurt his case. I've heard from various sources that the Twins have been uh, very, very diligent in their scouting of him and have ramped it up lately, which uh, only bolsters his case to go number one. Uh, I backed off Hunter Green, and, and the reason is I think he's got the most high-end talent. But at 17 or 18 years old, you've got four years to four years he's or you should be risk averse but there's a reason why prep righties have never gone number one overall and I think that as much as you you know leaning on the past can hurt you in terms of taking chances when you need to I think that's probably one of those things that uh, that makes sense here and I just think Wright has a, a maybe not the same height of ceiling or depth of ceiling but it's still plenty high um, fairly good floor he's going to play the leagues barring some kind of uh, catastrophe and uh, you know the 
But, you know, I think just all, all the signs for me are pointing to him. If it wasn't going to be him for me, it would be Royce Lewis because I love up-the-middle young guys, um, probably the best prep hitter in this class, at least as far as coming into the season. I know he hasn't had uh, the greatest of seasons, but really nice player. Um, I just, you know, McKay doesn't quite do it for me. And, uh, you know, other names, Paven Smith. There's there's a lot of names. Mackenzie Gore is interesting as well. But for me, it's it's right, and I think that's what's going to happen next Monday. Yeah, between the right and green, right looks, quote-unquote, like the more stable option like you are talking about, uh, ready to go, can make a more immediate impact with your rebuild. Um, green, there's a lot of, you know, gambling involved. Just you watch guys that throw that hard over and over again, they all – they have a lot in common with Tommy John surgery. So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting, interesting deal. Um, one people, uh, some people I was seeing thought Brendan McKay, if he was coming out as a hitter only and not a pitcher might be a lot more attractive, but um, I guess we won't really know that till closer to draft time, but it'll be really interesting. Um, yeah. Some people have, have compared him to John Olrud, which is interesting, but, Yeah. Um, when it comes to uh, the Twins, they've had three first-round uh, number one overall picks before. Is there, like, any, you know, any extra excitement this year uh, since the last one was Joe Maurer? Or what, what's kind of the thoughts with the people, the fans of Minnesota? Well, they're really buying the hype machine of Hunter Green, you know, Sports Illustrated and, and Rob Manford being in town a couple weeks ago talking about what a great uh, young man he is. He met him at the World Baseball Classic. They're they're buying the hype machine hook, line, and sinker, and you will see on Facebook or Twitter many, many fans saying they will be done with the Twins if they don't draft Hunter Green, which is preposterous because, you know, number one overall pick, they literally don't know anything about him other than seeing maybe a YouTube video or reading the, I think it's the the Lee Jenkins pit uh, story in in SI. And uh, that's just not how scouting works. And so, you know, again, these fans are just hot take artists and Johnny come lately's. So um, the hype machine is in full force, but I think people are slowly coming around to the idea that um, they, they have to really nail this first round or this number one pick, which is obvious. I mean, you know, if you have a Matt Bush or a Brian Bullington or, or a Luke Hoshaver, um, that can cripple your, your franchise. So you need to go out and have another Joe Maurer, which uh, I think Joe Maurer is like third or fourth in, in war. Uh, among all-time number one overall picks. So that's obviously a very tall order. But if they can go out and get a guy who can jump into the rotation within a year and a half or two years, that's going to be huge. Um, is there any concern with, say, Wright or some of these top picks about you know signing contract-wise that might steer them somewhere else? No, because if, if they won't sign for number one money, they won't sign for any money, which which is, is not an issue. Um, the, the hope, I believe, is that they can probably go a little under slot with Wright uh, you know, maybe two million under slot, and then save some money for thirty-two and thirty-five, in the hopes that someone interesting falls down there, which always seems to happen. Um, you know, I don't know if somebody like Jaron Kendall falls that far or anything like that, but there might be some fun names that were previously believed to be going higher and and maybe have demands outside of the draft slot that they're getting selected in, as far as uh, pools that other teams have. So they may be able to get creative and and really jumpstart their their farm system with some interesting players in the top thirty-five picks. Good, good, good to hear. Uh, looking forward to that on Monday. Uh, let's get into some of the players that are actually making the impact on the field this year and some of the great stories to these players. 
We'll kick it off with Miguel Sano. Um, if people haven't paid attention, the guy is just hitting the snot out of baseballs. His exit velocity, all that good stuff that all the stat cast people like to talk about, he's doing it all. And it's very, very impressive. I know he had a little slump recently, but he seems to be okay from that. Uh, playing pretty decent defense at third. Um, what do you think is the biggest improvement that's kind of made this shift for Miguel Sano? I think he takes his um, his hitting out to the field with him defensively, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I just think it's a cycle where if, when he's going well at the plate, you see it defensively. He's engaged, he's focused, and does a really nice job at third base. Uh, for a big guy, he moves well, has a rocket arm, which is part of why they wanted him in right field in the first place. But uh, yeah, very nimble. He he makes the play where you come in on you know slow rollers and bunts where you barehand it and throw to first as good as any third baseman I've seen. Um, as long as I've been an adult, at least as far as, uh, you know, maybe not Adrian Beltre, you know, obviously world-beating third baseman. But he's, he's a, he has very good potential to be at least above average uh, or average or to above average defensively, which I don't think a lot of people believed coming into the season. Uh, offensively, it's going to be interesting to see. He might reinvent the wheel because how many guys have we seen strike out 37, 38% of the time and sustain an OPS over 1,000? Uh, in that sense, you know, the strikeouts are not – a reflection of lack of talent like they might be in high school or little league or whatever it's just a reflection of approach and so far that approach has worked for him and if he can keep it up he might be the the new kind of player that can strike all that off and still be uber productive and so i'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that all pans out yeah definitely um moving over to second base we mentioned brian dozier a few times like crazy home run year last year he's having another pretty good year this year he went to the dl and before that he was stealing bases rapidly i know small sample size hasn't been the biggest steel threat since then is everything healthy with dozier can we expect him to be will go the rest of the way i mean i think the ankles bothered him a little bit he was really really stealing bases at a good clip to start the year and started getting caught and hasn't been running as much um you know he's he's been waxing and waning a lot last year he started slowly and then just came on like wildfire this year he's just been lukewarm and um you know people aren't focusing on that as much because Guys like Byron Buxton are struggling offensively and all that, but uh, he's just been a steady, you know, guy in the the top of the order. I, I honestly think that they should probably have Robbie Grossman lead off and have Dozier hit third or fourth, and you know that might boast uh, bolster the run production a little bit. But it's it's just been a quietly productive year for Dozier. He plays a pretty good second base defensively, and he's just an all around pretty solid player. You can't can't complain about him. He shows up to work every day, and you know he's got to get that ankle healthy. But otherwise, he's doing pretty good. Uh, Max Kepler, I already mentioned him as a, the guy I'm big on in the outfield. Um, made kind of an, a, a little impact last year in his, in his first real go at it. And now he has the everyday job and he's just looking phenomenal. Where do they ex- – like what's the expectations of him like as a the full career type thing when he really gets into his groove? I, I'm hoping this guy hits like 40 doubles and like 20 home runs. Um, he's really, really talented, plays really good right field. Um, he can run. He can throw. Uh, you know, his arm is not great. He had a, a an elbow issue back in A-ball that they didn't have surgery on. He just kind of rehabbed. And when his arm is really, really going well, he can throw people out. And then sometimes it just kind of comes and goes. But all around, uh, the total package is a really, really nice player. And the um, biggest struggle for him, I think, in the big leagues is hitting lefties. Uh, he, in Cedar Rapids, had like a 300 OPS against lefties. And then he bounced back. The year he won the Southern League MVP with Chattanooga, uh, 2015, he was just phenomenal against them. So it, to me, 
he's the kind of guy that can learn to do just about anything on the baseball field. And what he told me when I asked him about, you know, how he improved on that is, you know, coming over from Germany, they don't look at pitchers based on handedness. He's just like, well, the guy's out there hucking it today. I don't care if he's lefty, righty, whatever. And so it was an adjustment for him and a mental hurdle to climb over once once other players told him, oh, you're a lefty and this guy's a lefty and that's going to be difficult for you. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he's he's been up to the task so far here in the States. And I think that once he figures that out, you know, you're looking at a guy that will have lots of extra base hit potential, might steal some bases. Uh, you know, he's not going to beat you over the head with the home run ball, but he's got a beautiful swing, works both gaps, and uh, he, he's just a really, really nice player. Yeah, no, there's a lot to like about him for sure. Another outfielder, we're going to hit all three of them eventually, but Robbie Grossman, you mentioned leading off, and people might not understand why, but he is an on-base machine, a walk machine, and he's got power upside. Uh, I know he's kind of been, you know, back and forth with a couple of positions and teams. Is this for good now? Is this like what we're going to get from Robbie Grossman? It sure feels like it. Uh, he's coming up now on, I think, 160, almost a full season worth of games with the Twins, almost a 400 on base, uh, as many walks as strikeouts. He really crushed lefties last year. This year he's doing more, more from the, the left side as a switch hitter. So uh, he, he got really upset, or I think he was just annoyed at the perception that he was really a, a lefty masher. And now this year he's kind of flipped the script. He's got a crazy on-base percentage as a right-handed hitter, but as a lefty is where I think all or almost all of his six home runs have come. Uh, he's doing a pretty good job when they put him in the outfield as well. He he had some really rough stretches defensively last year, but he's a fairly athletic guy. Uh, not the greatest of arm, but you know just a really nice player and kind of the glue guy that a lot of really good teams have where you got a guy that gets on base and just does enough to, to keep the line moving. And, and honestly, I think he should be hitting leadoff I think I would go with uh, with Grossman, Maurer, and then uh, maybe uh, Dozier, Sano, Kepler. I mean, one through five, that's pretty sturdy. You're going to score some some serious runs there. And, and you can mix and match guys based on matchups and all that. But, uh, yeah, I, I've just been really impressed with Grossman's approach. And uh, it seems like he's walking nonstop left and right, uh, no matter what side of the plate he's on. Now to the third outfielder. You mentioned his name already, Byron Buxton. Um, super prospect. Former number two overall pick, fast as heck, gold glove, you could say, you know, platinum glove defender. He's amazing in the outfield, mm-hmm. but just can't seem to get on base. It's almost like that Billy Hamilton disease. Um, he's been better the last month, I'd say, than that slow, slow start. Uh, they seem to be really patient because he's winning, because they're winning and everything. But how, how long is the leash for Buxton? Is this going to turn around? What can we expect? Well, I think the hope is that he can hit what he did in May. Uh, 254 average, 321 on base, 380 slugging. For a transitional year, uh, you know, that's probably a three or four win player based on the war, whichever you prefer, based on how good his defense is. And so I think if if you can get that kind of reduction out of him, again, it's just one month, and he was so bad the month before, and he has not been great in June. But again, if, if his ceiling right now is a 700 OPS, uh, just for this season as he continues to improve on plate discipline and pitch selection and how he hits breaking balls and all that fun stuff. Um, you know, if, if he can give you a 700 OPS, he's going to be a very, very nice player for fantasy purposes, for DFS purposes, a little less so, but hitting at the bottom of the order also means he'll probably be running more in terms of stolen bases, which fantasy players are going to like, um, you know, it might be not, and it might not be a bad time to scoop up him, uh, and take a flyer because he's had stretches where he's taken walks, where he's stung the ball, I think his swing is a continual work in progress, but I also do trust James Rousen, their hitting coach, to eventually figure it out because 
he's a, a brilliant man when it comes to hitting, and he's got this big lump of clay in Byron Buxton that he needs to mold. He's done great things with Miguel Sano so far, and I think he's going to eventually do the same things with Buxton. To hear, because coming into the season, I was I was big on Buxton. I liked the way mm-hmm. he finished last year. I like his talent. There's no questioning the ability of Byron Buxton. It's just, can he make the jump? Is he going to be a 4A player or a professional baseball player in the major leagues? That's the question we have yet to be seen be answered, basically. Yeah, and so, I think he's going to make that jump. It's just going to be slow. No, I'm looking forward to it. I'm on Team Buxton. I'm just hoping it gets there because <laughs> with, a, with a young guy, it's like all that negativity. You want to know how strong is he mentally to even take that, let alone fix it on the field. So Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he was getting crushed, as you obviously know. You probably saw it worse than I did from the outside. So, yeah. I mean, he was he was striking out like 50% of the time. Uh, 29 strikeouts and 78 plate appearances in April. I mean, that's nah, not going to fly. No, no. Uh, let's talk to us about some pitching. Urban Santana, you mentioned him. Uh, he's been a revelation. Like I, I, I say it like it's that surprising, but it is because he's always been a good quality start pitcher. But right now, he's before this last start, and even with that start, his stats still look like Cy Young worthy almost, um, or at least in the discussion. What You already mentioned they might end up trading him, but – What's the outlook if they keep them? Do they uh, like build around them? Does this? I, I can't see this stay, staying as good as he's been. Basically, does this look like something that can hold up? Well, I know I know that uh, from the from the outside or whatever perspective, it, I agree with you because the strikeouts are not impressive, the walk numbers are not impressive, the home run, uh, you know, home runs per nine in them are not impressive. His command has been kind of scattershot in the last four or five starts here, but. Um, the big thing he does is soft contact. You look at exit velocities, and he's like top five among pitchers who have thrown 1,000 or more pitches this year and top 15 of those who have thrown 500 or more pitches this year. So he's he's inducing a lot of soft contact, which is why I believe opposing batters are only hitting like 155 against him, and that was as low as like 120 or 118 at one point. So it's it's nudging its way up. But I think when when you look at like his, his batting average on balls in play, which is below 200, obviously that's bound to come up as well. He does have more room and more leeway than the average pitcher does, as far as when his exit velocity is so low, you know he he's not going to necessarily normalize to that 280 slash 320 BABIP that a lot of ordinary pitchers might gravitate towards. So I still think he can be very very good and very very useful for the Twins. But if some team is looking at him and thinking, yeah, we can we can take him off the Twins' hands because he doesn't have the traditional strikeout numbers that you'd expect a, a sub two or sub three ERA guy to have, uh, I'm 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 convinced the Twins know what they have in him, and it's just going to come down to what the offer looks like. You know, if it's two top hundred prospects and a lottery ticket, they'll send him they'll send him overnight uh, via FedEx tomorrow. But if it's um, you know couple lotto ticket kind of guys or, you know, uh, the kind of guys that you get for like a Bud Norris or, uh, you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah. you know, then, then no, they're, they're just going to hold tight to him because he's, he's not on a bad contract. He's, you know, they can be done with him next year if he falters. You know, it's not like Ricky Nolasco where you want to get whatever you can for him. He's, he's still got plenty of value to the Twins. And if, if his arm, if his elbow blew up tomorrow, you know, knock on wood, God willing, it won't. Um, they will still have gotten plenty of value out of the deal. So, um I think I think they they'll just sit tight, hold to their guns like they did on the Dozier deal, and if somebody meets their price, then that's fine. But if it's uh, if it's a price that's too high for everyone to match, the Twins are going to be okay keeping him too. 
No. Cool, cool. Another starting pitcher that, you know, I was high on Sano. I was high on Buxton. I love Jose Barrios. We've seen him just destroy minor league pitching. There's nothing else to prove there. Given this year wasn't as dominant as last year, but it was hard to be that dominant. Um, he struggled in the bigs like everyone knows last year, but he has looked phenomenal this time through. I'm hoping the your answer is what I want to hear. Is is he here to stay? Is this Jose Barrios' job now? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm certain of that. Uh, barring an unforeseen, unbelievable, awful blow-up, which I just – I don't think is is in the cards, and uh, the the rotation is so shallow as is with Phil Hughes hurt, Kyle Gibson pitching poorly, Hector Santiago giving up a three run bomb to to Robinson Cano. Um, you know Santiago's looked very poor the last four or five outings as well. So the biggest thing for Barrios when he's been on this year has been the fastball command to the glove, no matter who's catching him. When he does that, his curveball plays up. He can mix the curve in and out of the strike zone, which is which is obviously very good. But the other big thing for him is the swinging strike rate on his four-seam fastball. You know, the average pitchers have, like, I think it's anywhere from 5 to 8% or whatever it is, and he's up over 10 last I checked. Um, elite swinging strike rate on the fastball, which is what you see from truly great pitchers. You know, you'll see that from your Jose Fernandez's, um, you know, God rest his soul, uh, Clayton Kershaw's, all that. The truly great pitchers can get swings and misses on their fastballs. He's that kind of guy right now. And I think that alone is what bodes well for him. Um, he had to gut out that last game against Houston. Uh, it was five innings, four earned runs. But what Paul Molitor said after the game was he was very proud of how he did not let that game go sideways on him. He kept the Twins in it. And that's huge because with a guy that had an eight-point whatever ERA last year, when things go bad, you know, then you're just giving up runs by the bucket load. This year he has done a good job of mixing his pitches. He didn't have his changeup that night. I think he threw four changeups. And he still made it work with a fastball and a curveball against the best offense in baseball. To me, that's that's really encouraging. And then the other lineups that he beat in the games before that, the Rockies and the Orioles and the Indians, those are not offenses that are bad. Those are really, really good offenses. So I'm extremely enthused about his potential moving forward. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. He's looked great. Uh, I like what you said about what Molitor said on his last start because that makes a ton of sense for a young kid like that. He could have had flashbacks mid-start and oh crap here we go again mm-hmm. and it's it, it could have like you said against that offense in that building that could have got sideways real quick um so that was great to see and great to hear because i really like what he has to offer and i know the twins do as well but um moving on to the closing situation for years recently they've had the great glenn perkins he's coming back from injury kensler has filled in phenomenally um What's we know Kensler can do the job. What's the outlook on Perkins coming back? I saw he might be going into rehab now in Florida, and then if he comes back, what's the role going to be then? Yeah, I don't see any way that he regains the closer role this year. He's still only eighty four, eighty six with the fastball and spotty command, and you know it's just it's an uphill battle. The hope is to have him put enough on tape so that they can bring him back hopefully next year, maybe on a minor league deal or something. They'll probably decline his option. But I doubt he'll ever pitch anywhere other than Minnesota, and Minnesota will be happy to have him if he can give him anything. Um, you know, he's Minnesotan, uh, tried and true, and family lives here, all that stuff. He grew up in Stillwater, which is about 25, 30 minutes from, from Target Field. So I, I just don't see any way he closes for this team again, barring some kind of crazy miracle. Kinsler's a free agent at the end of the season, though, and so he could be on the list of guys on the move. I've always believed he's a better fire, um, a fireman 
come in with a runner on first and, and uh, one out or nobody out and get you a double play ball just because of the heavy sinker that he's got, which he mixes 91 to 95. Uh, you know, he's not a prototypical closer in that, for me, he puts out other people's fires, but when he starts a fire, then it can get out of control. You know, if if a ground ball guy with no strikeouts starts a fire, him putting it out is not a good sign. Um, my hope was that Ryan Presley would be that guy, but Presley just got absolutely wrecked up until he was sent to AAA Rochester here after the uh, the Astros series. Right now, if there's a contingency plan, it is probably Tyler Duffy, who has been brilliant since uh, since moving to the bullpen from the rotation. Other than that, they just really do not have anybody who has a closer look to them right now. They've got some guys down in the minors. Obviously, Nick Birdie now with Tommy John surgery is is out of the picture. But uh, Randy Rosario just came up. He's a young lefty that's got some pretty good stuff. He'll be interesting to watch. Other than that, though, it's it's pretty up in the air as far as what the plan is in the ninth inning if uh, if they go somewhere other than Kinsler. But for now, I think it's probably Tyler Duffy. And you know, if Presley comes back looking good, uh, he could be in that mix as well. And they do have some fun arms down in the minors. J.T. Chagwaugh, who's battling some issues, and Mason Malatakis, John Curtis. There's a lot of them. Trevor Hildenberger. They've got a half dozen guys they might want to run through. Uh, Nick Turley is another game to, name to watch as well. Struck out 15 batters tonight at AAA Rochester against Scranton Wilkes-Barre. So they've got some options that they might try out. But I think Kinsler is pretty safe right now, at least until the trade deadline, to, to be closing games for the Twins. Okay, that answered my next question. I was wondering who would be plan B. So Duffy for oh. now... Likely. Yeah, Duffy. Duffy, unless uh, Taylor Rogers could be in the mix. He's been a little better against righties this year, but still profiles long-term as more of a lefty specialist, um, and they've kind of used him in that role. He's really good against lefties, not not so great against righties. So I think it's Duffy, and then it's uh, figure it out from there. Okay, so as the rebuild continues, we, we mentioned there's some great veteran presence on the team in the clubhouse with tons of really good young ball players. Um What's the like uh, future hold? What, what's the next big immediate impact, guys, from the minors that you're, you're looking at? Um, Steven Gonsalves is a starter that started the season on the shelf with a shoulder thing, but he's healthy now, and he's dealing pretty good for Double H Chattanooga. He was taken the same year they took Cole Stewart and has actually passed up Stewart on a lot of prospect lists. Interesting lefty, tall kid, uh, spins a good curveball, 90 to 93 with a fastball, sometimes up to 95. He's, he's interesting. Um, Fernando Romero is kind of their best starting pitching prospect. He's really started to come on strong at Chattanooga as well. He's on the 40-man roster, so they might look to, to move him quickly as well. Uh, young righty, really nice f- uh, frame, really good stuff. Um, beyond that, it's it's mostly relievers, fourth outfielder types, and uh, defensive, inf- uh, defensive infielders too. Um, I do know they have an outfielder they like, uh, Lamont Wade, who is also at Chattanooga. Crazy walk numbers this year, hitting for some power that might force his way onto the 40-man roster and up to the, the team as well. He's kind of a pop-up guy. You know, all organizations have those guys that kind of come out of nowhere. And so he could be interesting as well and, and might be uh, coming up close. But as far as, like, studs or stars, there's just not that many. Uh, Alex Kirilov on the shelf. He had Tommy John. He's an outfielder. Uh, ben Rortbet, the catcher, high school catcher they took last year in the second round, is struggling offensively. So... Most of the guys that they have in the pipeline offensively to help them are, are up now. And so 
you can see that one of two ways. It's good because they're up and they're doing good things, but it's bad and that there's not a ton of depth behind them if someone is to go down. So, um, you know, they'll they'll work on that and find a way to get more depth in the organization. But for now, it's um, yeah, it's pretty top heavy in terms of all the all the talent is in the big leagues. What's the latest and greatest on um, on Gordon, the middle infielder that you guys drafted? Oh yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of him. Um, he's been he's been just great. He was just named the Southern League Player of the Month, so I don't know why the hell I didn't think of him. I can't feel like a dumbass now. Um, no, but they don't know. I don't know where he's going to wind up, whether it's second base or shortstop. Um, I have a couple contacts in the Chattanooga area that have told me. Um, he's got everything you want in a shortstop, but Polanco might have better uh, range. I think Gordon has the better arm, Polanco has the better range. But really it doesn't make any difference because up the middle, Polanco and Gordon is a pretty awesome uh, one-two punch there. If if they end up moving on from Dozier or maybe Dozier moves to third, Sano moves to first and Maurer moves on. Whatever they do, um, they've got some options. And he's he's had a really nice year. I think he's had a little more pop. I think he's got like 16 doubles, which is obviously a good uh, two-month run there for him. And, uh, you know, the major league bloodline means that, you know, he's he's obviously got a lot of poise and a lot of those intangibles that teams look for. So I think they're really excited about what he's capable of. Um, or if they decide to go long-term with Polanco and Dozier up the middle, you could maybe move him. But I just, I think you want to get him up to the big league sooner rather than later and, and see what he's capable of. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. As a, uh, a fantasy twist, I traded for him last year in a dynasty league, so I'm excited for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, way, way further along than Alex Jackson, for instance. Perfect. That is that's what I'm hoping to hear. Um, you mentioned Joe Maurer. He's like I said, the last first number one overall pick for the Twins. He's basically a Twins legend. Um, he's not what he used to be, but he's actually playing really well this year. What? How much longer does he have with the Twins? Not just contract wise. Like just how many more years has he got? Like before they kind of say, "Can you move?" While we keep the rebuild in line. I think he'd probably take a below market deal to stay after this contract's over as a make good if they wanted to keep him as a, a bench bat slash you know, I don't I don't know what he'd be capable of doing defensively because if he's capable of playing let's just say right field or third base, he would have been doing that already. So um if they if they want to carve out room for him as a bench bat or an occasional starter at first base or DH you know, for for five million bucks a year, I don't think that would be the the end of the world. But I, I don't know if he wants to play much past you know thirty six, thirty seven. Um, you know, the rest of his deal is is this year and uh, next. And I'm trying to remember. I think that's that's it. I think he might play another year after that. But I don't I don't know that he's going to be chasing records or anything like that. He's got a lot of money in the bank and a young family and a lot of things going on for him. That if if the game isn't fun anymore, he could he could move on pretty easily. Definitely. Uh, the AL All-Star voting recap came out today, and Mr. Miguel Sano has quite a nice little lead brewing at third base. Is yeah. there like a big campaign going on in Minnesota for this, or is this just people finally open their eyes? Because All-Star voting kills me sometimes when you, like, you have a whole Royals team out there or something. But Oh, man. This guy, yeah. this guy deserves it, and it was good to see this happen. That's why I'm curious. Is there something going on? No, I mean, uh, you know, you'll see teams like Cleveland has, I think, vote five times for the Tribe or something in their Twitter handle. Yeah. The Twins are not pushing it absurdly. Uh, it's, I think it's no different than the MLB standard, which uh, which I think is fine. And uh, he just, he's been so good. And Manny Machado has just had such a tough start to the season that, you know, Machado was leading. Now he dropped down to third this time. And I think Jose Ramirez is sandwiched in between the two. Um, so no, who I call Miggy Smalls, hashtag Miggy Smalls, is uh, he's incredible. Um, and I just think it's it's just become so obvious that 
he deserves it. And I think that it's it's the rest of the league seeing him. The Twins kind of getting out of their their uh, central bubble and playing some teams like Houston and like the Angels. And I think fans are seeing that and thinking, man, we got to get this guy to Miami. So I think it's going to happen. Yeah, you get him to Miami in that home run derby with Judge and Stanton and those boys. That could get entertaining, to say the oh, least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd love to see that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, really awesome. One last thing. So we talk trade, possibilities, rebuild, all that stuff. What do you think the rest of the season holds? Where do you see them finishing? I mean, I think besides Cleveland, it's really a four-dog race for second place, and it's not likely to be a team over 500 or in the thick of playoff hunt. It would not shock me if they finished second. I just I don't think they're going to finish fifth. I think they're they're good enough to finish second with maybe 80, 81 wins. And it depends on what Detroit has to do because if they start clearing payroll or clearing house with big deals for J.D. Martinez or whoever else, that's probably going to bottom them out um, faster than just sheer veteran declines. I don't think Kansas City is particularly good, and I think they're going to have to make some trades as well with guys like Kane and Moustakas and Hosmer you know, heading for free agency here in the off season as well. And I think Chicago is semi-interesting. You know, they're going to bring up Yohan Moncada eventually. And obviously, Ayil Garcia has been a really fun story. Um, I'd say fun with quotation marks because I'm still not sure how he's doing it. But, um, you know, I just, I think that, I think the Twins should be in the mix for second place. And there's really no reason to me that they can't win 80, 81 games and, and you know, at least put a semi-scare into Cleveland for, for part of the season. Good. That would be obviously an improvement from last year and a good sign with the young kids and everything going that way. That'd be really oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Um, so I reiterated rebuild a million times, and I, many people don't like that word, but it is what it is. We'll go some some full-board MLB talk real quick before we wrap this up. Sure. Um, you got, like, the White Sox, the Brewers, Braves, Reds. A lot of these teams we know are rebuilding, but, like, the White Sox, Brewers, Braves are kind of the more well-known ones. Uh, we saw the trades they've made recently and the moves they're the, – the development they're making. How would you compare their rebuilds to the success? Because I think what the Twins are doing is a success. Like you said, you're seeing these young kids produce right now, and that's what you're looking for, obviously. Um, how would you compare those teams' rebuilds towards the Twins? And, you know, when theirs reaches maturation to the Twins, where do you see the competition level maybe? I think the Twins are just a very old school one. It's kind of different. They never really intentionally bottomed out. Last year was a bad year, but they were trying to contend, which is, I think, more disappointing than anything. Is <laughs> uh, you try to contend and you lose a hundred games. That's that's pretty difficult to do, and it, people's heads roll as a result. Um, they didn't have a lot of big chips to cash in, like the White Sox or the Brewers. Um, you know, the Brewers turned uh, guys like Tyler Thornburg into lots of lots of help and. You know Mauricio Dubon and Travis Shaw and all that, and they've turned some pretty interesting pieces into um, lots and lots of prospect depth. The Braves have tons of pitching. The Twins have never had that. And again, the White Sox, you know, they still could probably trade Jose Abreu. They could trade Todd Frazier. They could trade David Robertson, Nate Jones if they really wanted to get creative and aggressive. They could still get a ton of talent coming back. And you know, it depends on where you stand on Lucas Giolito. But Reynaldo Lopez, Yohan Moncada, all kinds of crazy talent coming back. And, you know, that deal looks even better now that Adam Eaton is out for the year. Uh, I just, I think the Twins are in a class of their own. They more patched it together with guys like Mike Pelfrey and Kevin Correa when they knew they weren't very going to be very good rather than bottoming out and tanking. And, um, you know, I got a lot of friends in, in Houston, and I don't want to 
besmirch them, but they obviously were very bad for a long time and had some pretty high picks, Carlos Correa and all that. So I just think the Twins have been just a little different. It's just an old-school organization, um, you know, less so now with all the analytics that the new guys have brought in. But I, I'm, I'm more enthused about where they're going than where they've been because it was pretty boring to watch how they operated, where they wouldn't sign any interesting free agents. They wouldn't make any splashes. And I, I want to see, you know, the, the, the Indians turned Corey Kluber into Corey Kluber basically out of thin air. They traded Vinny Pestano for him. I mean, for crying out loud, you need to get creative sometimes to find these pitchers, and I hope that that's the case with uh, with Falvey and Levine, and they can find some guys that can lock down this rotation. So I, I think it's just it's a it's an unconventional rebuild, and it's not going to get a lot of prospect pundits, you know, um, you know, beating down their doors. But it might be successful all the same, and I, I think that that's the that's the hope. But um, I just don't think they compare really favorably or unfavorably to anybody else. No, that's a very good point. The whole uh, Pelfrey Correa part that's. Very, very good point. They just didn't tank it completely. They made it work. Andrew, mm-hmm. well, very good point. Um, you mentioned the Houston Astros, and I can't not ask the question because what they're doing right now is ridiculous. Uh, they're scoring at will. They're, they scored seven again already tonight. They're scoring at will. Uh, they're winning, winning, winning. They basically, by the end of this month, they might wrap up the West. It's that crazy. I know I'm being a little sarcastic, but it's possible. Um we, we saw the Cubs dominate last year. The Astros are dominating this year. Where, where do you see the Astros? Like, where does this ride end for the Astros? I mean, didn't Sports Illustrated say 2017 World Series champions? I think they were being pretty prescient with that. And, um, you know, right now, you look at the American League, and, and honestly, how many, how many good teams are there in the American League? You can say Houston's good. Cleveland is not good yet, but will be good. Boston should be good, but are the Yankees good? Are the are the Orioles good? Are the Twins good? Are the Angels good? The Mariners? None of those teams really strike you as good. And two of those teams, you know, there's three good teams and then two other teams that will have to make the playoffs. So just to me, um, it's going to be teams that you don't expect to get in there. For me, though, Houston is kind of like the class of the, the entire American League. Um, you know, you look at the National League right now, and it's like Colorado in the mix. Chicago's struggling. Milwaukee's in the thick of things. I think Houston is your World Series favorite at this point, and it's probably not too close. With that said, the Cubs can turn it on at the drop of a hat. It's almost like an NBA game, and they're the Spurs. They're just messing with you for the first three quarters. Turn it on for the fourth, and they just beat people up. So if it's Houston and Cubs in the the World Series this year, um, sign me up. I would love to see that World Series. That would be just beautiful, uh, as long as Dallas Keuchel and Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton are all healthy, though. I want to see healthy um, you know, against John Lester and, and all those guys. Jake Arrieta, get him back in shape. Uh, I want to see a, a, a heavyweight battle between those two because I think that would be just phenomenal. That would be great baseball, like you said, but you want him healthy, and I agree. Arietta looked pretty good again for his second straight start. Maybe he's figuring it out. The velocity's Let's down. hope so. The velocity is down, so you don't know. But, uh, yeah, Keuchel, back to Cy Keuchel, is outstanding. And McCullers is amazing, but you mentioned him. What do you think they're going to do with his inning limits? Because I just broke it down with another podcast, and he's almost half, like halfway to the quote-unquote goal already. I would get creative with off days and bringing up, um, you know, whether it's uh, – I don't remember who the guy was that started the third game of the Twins series. Uh, he started in in, uh, in favor of Musgrove. His name is – is giving me the big, strong – yeah, Paulino. Um, I would get creative with off days – Yep, I would I would just you know have him uh, maybe take um, you know an extra day or two here and then uh, just keep him rolling through the playoffs because 
you know, we've seen with Strasburg, it didn't really matter. Sanchez has been a mess this year now. you got to live for today with these pitchers in some respect, too. Um, and I, for me, I know that might be that might sound irresponsible, but you don't know what the future brings no matter what. So I think you, you don't shut them down, but you just give them a little added care, maybe fewer throw days between starts. Uh, yeah, bring up guys like Paulino, Francis Martis, whoever you have to maybe give a guy seven days instead of four or, or maybe even nine days if you really want to space it out. Um, get creative with the all-star break. If you want to exploit the disabled list, I don't really care. Um, keep him down 170, 165 for the regular season if you have to, but make sure he's starting in September and is ready to go in October to start game number two in the division series. I think you have to do that. Yep, 100% agree. Okay, a couple quickies here. Uh Biggest surprise teams in the AL and the NL? I think in the NL, it's got to be the Rockies. Um, and I've, I've liked that rotation. I like Tyler Anderson, who's um, a lot of people are kind of sleeping on as far as how good his May was to, to kind of bounce back. They're a game ahead of the Dodgers. I don't think anybody saw that coming. But but also the Diamondbacks have been pretty good, too. So um, I think both of those two, um, obviously the Giants as a negative, and I hate to twist that knife on you, but uh, they, they've been obviously – um, yeah, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, And then in the American League, the Yankees, um, Aaron Hicks is my guy. Hashtag stick with Hicks. I loved him here in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I just think that um, I'm, I'm so happy he's come along. And if, if they end up signing Bryce Harper and their outfield is Hicks, Harper, and Judge, it sounds like a law firm, um, that would be incredible. As much as I don't want the Yankees to, to be good because as a Twins fan, they've killed. Um, when I was a Twins fan, they used to kill the Twins in the postseason. Um, that's been surprising. I think Seattle on the negative side or even Texas, you know, two teams you expect to be in the thick of things contending have just been very bad. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listing every team. It seems like Kansas city's faltering has been a bit surprising as well. So, um, I guess I probably kind of usurped your two questions here as far as surprise and disappointing, but, uh, I apologize for that. Um, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what we've seen now through the first week in June. And then if we come back to this two months from now, it might be totally different. Well, and that's that's the beautiful thing of baseball. For crying out loud, Scooter Jeanette hit four home runs tonight. So you never, unbelievable. You never three on the season. Happened. Yeah, you had three yeah. on the season coming today. Who knew that? Over doubled. It's like it's just it, it's crazy what happens. But um, yeah, it, that's the beauty of baseball. You're an injury away, a, a hot prospect. Call up anything from just a run, and it can be totally different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it makes sense. You said you named a bunch of teams, but. You even said it when we talked about you know the Astro situation. There really isn't a lot of domination this year, so in reality, there's a lot of disappointment. <laughs> like it really, yeah, yeah. The flip side of it's that is, of, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of average baseball. So it's, it's not average as entertainment wise. Don't that that's, sounds bad, but just you know, 500 teams, a little below 500, is just really, really well, odd. The Mets being as bad as the Braves is pretty bad too. Whoever thought the Mets would run out of pitching? I didn't. I, I never thought they would. I thought, I thought the Mets were going to give the Nats a run for their money. and yep. They're getting run out of the wow. division right now. 11 and a half games. Unbelievable. And how no one's been fired in that medical department or front office is beyond me. Like, it's just crazy. Mr. Matt is going to get wow. fired before Terry Collins. Can you believe that? Oh, that was great. I, we just talked <laughs> about that on the last podcast. That was <laughs> amazing. So bad. You know things are bad in Queens when the, the Mr. Matt has to flip off the Mets fans. It's that bad. Yeah. Um. Uh, we'll skip that next one. I want to ask you a couple Minnesota questions before we wrap it up. Sure. A minute stuff. So um, football's coming up, and I, I remember the deal took place earlier in the offseason. 
and I totally forgot until it was yesterday a picture came across my timeline. What is going on in Minnesota with the feelings of Adrian Peterson wearing a different uniform this year? I think Vikings fans are ready to move on, uh, believe it or not. I just think it was boiled down to uh, it's time to turn the page. I think drafting Dalvin Cook helped a lot, obviously a dynamic player from Florida State. You know, Latavius Murray, a lot of these guys that play fantasy probably think he's better than he really is. But between Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook and Jarek McKinnon, that's a a backfield of three guys that can do a little bit of everything. And it's, you know, it's not like giving the ball to Matt Asiata 15 times a game, which is very, very uninteresting. They've got some guys that can make some plays in the backfield. And I think that's going to help smooth the, the path, uh, smooth everything over. The other thing is, I don't know that there's a lot of carries in New Orleans for, for Adrian Peterson between Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara or Kamara. I don't know how you say that last name, but they've got some interesting guys down in New Orleans. I don't think he's going to do anything for the Saints, and it's going to make it so much easier for Vikings fans to, to bury the hatchet there. No, that's a good point with the backfield you have. That's a good three-headed monster to have mm-hmm. and uh, definitely good. Um, another thing that was really tragic last year was the Teddy Bridgewater injury. Uh, the most recent thing I heard was, you know, it's still not looking good for this year even. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've heard something different. But it almost sounds like he might not want to play again. Um, not personally want to play, just physically can't play again. What's the situation with Teddy Bridgewater? Um, he was airing it out in OTAs today. And uh, he, he's, he's looking better. I, I think you're maybe looking at a pup list and then maybe his contract tolls over, which means they get an extra year on the deal. Um, obviously, Sam Bradford is a good insurance policy. I know that they got savaged for that trade, but by drafting Dalvin Cook, who I think is a first-round talent in the second round, kind of smooths some of that over as well. Um, Bradford gave them everything they could handle. They needed to improve the line around him. They went and did that with... Um, Riley Reef and Pat Elfline and, and um, Danny Isadora. They did a lot of things to improve what's around Sam Bradford. And then consequently, when Teddy's ready to take it over, I still think it's his team. I think Mike Zimmer is the number one Teddy Bridgewater fan in the world. And I think I might be number two um, or maybe number three after the uh, Hey Teddy Kid. You'll have to YouTube that because it's pretty funny. Um, I think I think they're going to try bring him back, um, maybe not halfway through this year, but hopefully – in time to start next year after Bradford's contract runs out. Hopefully there's not too much rust, but with two years off, man, that's tough. So they might draft some competition for him, but I think they're ready to give the reins to Teddy next year. Um, it's a tough spot to be in, though, because if he's not ready again, you got to figure out um, if you want to re-sign Bradford or if you want to draft somebody. And uh, I haven't looked at any of the names available next year in the draft, but this was not, in my estimation, a very good year for the quarterbacks in the draft. Yeah, your top quarterback, at least as now, as you obviously know, can change. Pretty sure it's the the kid out of USC. Yeah, um, Darnold, Sam Darnold, I think yeah, it is. Sam Darnold, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes would have been cool in Minnesota because his dad pitched for the Twins back in the mid-'90s. But um, they were never going to pull the trigger to move up there and make that pick. And you know what? He's going to do big things in uh, was it Buffalo, I think. So, um, you know, th- that would have been cool. But, I, you know, Deshaun Watson might have been interesting. But there was just not a lot of quarterbacks this year where I was like, yeah, you got to go get this guy if, if Teddy can't play again. So uh, I think they're going to be just fine one way or the other, and I hope Teddy is rip-roaring and ready to play because he's, he's only going to be 25 next year, keep in mind. So he's not um, he's not wow. as old as it seems like with, with how long he's been around. He does seem a lot older than that. Um, right. He's a very, very good guy too. Uh, yeah, and that Cook pick, like you said, first-round talent in the second round, how he fell was beyond me, so that was a great, right. great mm-hmm. pick. Um, Coach Zimmer. What is going on with? Uh, can we get him like a good eye patch at least, or what? What's the deal with with Zim? Yeah, he got a little Captain Hook vibe. 
Um, yeah. Sounds like he was back with the team this week, progressing well, but I think he said seven or eight surgeries and apparently um, maybe wasn't taking the injury as seriously as he needed to. I think he's going to be fine, but uh, he does need to. Here's what it boils down to for me. If you're ever going to rest and you're a football coach, when would it be? This time of year. You don't need to be there for OTAs. And I know there's a lot of things that happen at this time of year, but it's a lot less important than, you know, week 14 of a season where you're 10 and 3 and battling the Packers for the division title. Take the time off when the time is available. Get yourself right instead of being nose to the grindstone 24 7, 365. And so I think he finally did take the advice of his doctors and do that. And who knows? Hopefully he'll be, um, you know, ready to go when the bell when the bell is struck here in a, in a couple of weeks when training camp opens. And one last Vikings question. I know this is way premature, but hey, why not? They were very competitive last year, so close. You always have Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to deal with, but uh, the Lions looked a lot better last year, and the Bears are rebuilding. Can the Vikings take the North? Are we looking at a wild card? What are we thinking this year with the Vikings? I mean, I think you're looking at ten and six, eleven and five, um, in the thick of it. I think Green Bay is not going anywhere. They seem to always have weapons for Rodgers, and Rodgers is one of those guys that makes guys look better too. You know, just like Tom Brady did with uh, with some of those guys that were not exactly household names. You know, outside of Gronk, um, Dion Branch, and all those guys. So he's 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 got that kind of talent. I think he's he's going to have a really nice year, and and obviously the Packers are always a threat. I think the winner probably goes twelve and four, might be Green Bay, but the Vikings are going to be in the thick of it. I just don't trust the staying power of the Lions, uh, Jim Caldwell team. I don't think he's a good enough coach to keep them up. And uh, they do have Taylor Decker now battling shoulder issues. They might have tackle issues with, with Riley Reef leaving and coming to the Vikings. I I think they're a 9-7, and 8-8 eight and eight team, and they're going to be behind, uh, behind the Vikings and the Packers. Okay, one last Minnesota question. We'll wrap it up. So you got the Twins, you got the Vikings, you got the T-Wolves that are, seems like, always in rebuild mode. But they have a lot of good young talent, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got the Minnesota Wild, who have been very entertaining and keep getting seems closer and closer to making that Nashville type thing happen. Um, which of the four wins the title first? Oh man! Um, well, let's eliminate the Timberwolves. I think they're too far away. Okay. Um, let's eliminate the Twins because I still think they're a couple years away as well. Uh, I'm going to take the Vikings. I just think maybe um, two, three years from now with Teddy and, and when, um, you know, the twilight of the careers of like Kyle Rudolph and and Harrison Smith, you know, Xavier Rhodes comes into his own. I think they've got enough talent that the Vikings could win a Super Bowl in the next two, three years. I think Sam Bradford um, with a good defense can, can win you a lot, a lot of football games. And I know people don't love him. He's a former number one pick and all that stuff. But man, he throw he makes some really great throws. I think the Vikings have a, the best chance of the four to to win a title in the near future. Awesome. Well, Brandon, that was good stuff, man. I appreciate you joining me. Why don't you let everybody know one more time where they can find you? At Brandon underscore Warren on Twitter, zonecoverage.com, thesportspost.com, rotographs, and what else am I missing? I'm probably missing something. Oh, fantasy pros. Fantasypros.com for my weekly streamers article. So uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you will find everything you need and probably a little extra. Yeah, and he's, he's a good follow, guys. If you like baseball, if you like the Twins, he gives you all the info you need. If not, he'll retweet someone else's. You got it, the info regardless. You got so, it. So lots of good stuff from Brandon. Uh, good guy. I started following him 
earlier this year. It's been a fun follow. More to come, hopefully. Um, Brandon, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, my dude. Anytime. Uh, everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 40 with Brandon Warren, a little Minnesota Twins talking more. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys later.